Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2014 Annual Missions Conference. This is the evening service of Sunday the 1st of June 2014, entitled Three Words to the Beloved, and the Bible reading is taken from Jude verses 1 to 3. Here's Dr. Steve Cook. Well, good evening. It's great to be here again with you. And uh, I've got my micro. Yeah, you got it on too now, don't you? You snuck right back there and turned that thing on. How about that? Well, it's great to be here, and, and I'm honored that you all have allowed me to come again this year to be with you. And uh, I can't believe that this is the last meeting uh, of the conference. I've looked so forward to coming back to England and to preach here in uh, Bethel Baptist Church. And, uh, you know, you all have been everything I expected and more. And uh, I want to tell you how much I love you and thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for allowing me to be a part of this conference. Open your Bibles to the book of Jude, next to the last book of the Bible, right in front of the book of the Revelation, very last book of the Bible. And in the book of Jude, there are 25 of the most precious verses you'll ever find in the Word of God. <clears throat> I've preached many sermons out of the book of Jude, and there are many more that I'd like to preach. And, uh, and tonight I'd like to preach on uh, three words to the beloved. Three words to the beloved. And uh, this is quite a book. Some people will refer to the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, if that be the case, and you can look at the book of Jude as the acts of the apostates, because uh, there were a lot of apostates in the days of Jude, in the days in which this letter, this epistle was written. And uh, there's some great instruction uh, for us to glean from this evening. Look at beginning in verse number one. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Verse number three, beloved, he's talking to believers, isn't he? Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you, of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you bless the reading of your word this evening. I pray, Lord, now for your divine anointing afresh. Empower me, infuse me with power from on high to do that which you have called me to do, to preach the word of God, power and spirit. Help me to rightly divide the word of truth. Help me to preach in clarity, simplicity. May the spirit take your preached word this evening. May you direct paths, touch hearts, give us discernment, wisdom, understanding. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would 
again, stir our hearts for missions, for the cause of Christ, for soul winning. Whatever's done tonight, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice in verse number three, the word beloved. There are three words to the beloved found in this particular letter. The first is found in verse 3, the second in verse 17, and the third is in verse 20. The first instruction, the first words, if you will, to the beloved are extremely important to the church. Who was Jude writing to? Well, first of all, he identifies himself in verse 1. He says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and the brother of whom? James. Well, excuse me, Jude, but if you're the brother of James, you're also the brother of Jesus Christ, because Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. And that would make Excuse me, James was the half-brother of Jesus, and that would make Jude the half-brother of Jesus. But that's not how Jude identified himself. Jude identified himself as a servant, not a celebrity. You know, God doesn't need big shots in his army. God doesn't need those that are puffed up and full of themselves. God needs those that are servants. And Jude had learned this. He learned to be a servant of the Lord. And so he identifies himself as such and the brother of James. And who is he speaking to? (laughs) Well, he is speaking to those that are saved. Notice what he says in the second half of verse 1. To them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Well, there's a picture of the Trinity. Sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. No man can come unto me except my Father which sent me draw him. That's what John 6, says. You see, the whole trinity involved in the salvation of a soul. God so loved the world, he sent his son. His son went to the cross, died on the cross according to the scripture, was buried but rose again, also according to the scripture, has ascended up, seated at the right hand of the Father, and in his place he has sent a comforter. And that Holy Spirit today will take the preaching of God's word, for faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and it will convict a person of sin, and that Spirit of God will take the word of God and draw men, women, boys, and girls unto Jesus Christ the Son, who was sent by God the Father. You can't separate God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. I know there's a lot of people today that want to magnify the Spirit, but the Spirit never is magnified in the Word of God. Even though the Spirit of God is co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal with God the Father, God the Son. He's talking to whom? To those who are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Other servants, in other words. A servant. What is a servant? (laughs) Well, a servant is someone who is born and bound and busy with a burden. 
about that? There's that burden again. Do you have a burden for the lost? Or do you just have a concern? Big difference. You can be concerned about lost souls and do nothing. But if you have a burden about lost souls, it will drive you to action. Amen? Well, what we see here is this letter. And in verse 3, he says, Beloved, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. In other words, he's saying, you know, preacher, this is what I wanted to preach. This is what I wanted to talk to you about. I've wanted to preach another message all week long called the message of the cross, and God hasn't permitted me to do that. I fully intended to preach that this morning. Then I intended to preach it this evening, but God has changed that. Why? Because I want to preach what God wants me to preach for you. Yes, I love that message, but that's not the message God has for you this week. You'll have to have me back. Maybe I'll preach it. He says, I wanted to talk to you about the common salvation. You know, there are so many confused people in the world today about salvation. And there's a real need to get the message out. The gospel message, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the end of death. The end thereof is the ways of death, he says. Fact of the matter is, there's a lot of confusion about the gospel. There's a lot of confusion about soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. There's a lot of confusion about how a person is to be saved. You just saw that on the movie clip, the video clip. We used to, to, to call upon our ancestors. We used to call upon our grandparents. We used to call upon them to strengthen us and to drive away the Spirit. And then he realized after he was, he was told the truth and the Spirit of God got in that person's heart and opened his eyes and revealed to him the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I tell you, he said, I'm, I'm so sad because all of these years have been wasted and I'm sad for my grandparents who've gone on, died and gone to hell. There's a need to get the truth out. This neighborhood here needs to hear the gospel because they're involved in something that's not the truth, period. This country, this city, all over the world, there are people who have never heard the truth of God's word. And so, the first word to the beloved that Jude tells these saints, these saints who are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ and called. He says, Beloved, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. That's the word. Contend. We are to contend for the faith. That's the first exhortation that Jew gives to these saints, that they should contend for the faith. Look at verse number 20. But beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. There's a difference between verse 3 and verse 20. In verse 3, he calls it the faith. In verse 20, he calls it your faith. Turn back with me to the book of Romans for just a moment, chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, listen to the word of God in verse number 5. 
Romans 1, chapter 1, verse number 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to what? The faith. The faith. Look at verse 8. First, I thank God my, that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith, your faith, what's the difference? There's a difference between the faith and your faith. We're not to contend for our faith. We are to contend for the faith. We're not to contend for what we believe necessarily in the power of the flesh and maybe under the guise of some false teaching. We are to contend for the faith. What are you contending for today? In America, we have a real problem with people. Instead of, being, instead of contending, they are contentious. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference. We are to contend for the faith, but they become contentious in doing so. There's a difference between the faith and your faith. The faith is objective. It's fixed. Your faith, my faith, your faith, is subjective. It's flexible. It changes. From day to day, from week to week, it ought not, but it does. We're not contain, to contend, rather, for our faith. We are to contend for the faith. And that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. And that's what Jude says here in verse number 3. Again, beloved, he says, I exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The faith is the sum, if you will, the faith is the sum of all that there is and all that is contained in the Word of God in regard to salvation, submission, and sanctification. Your faith is the obedience to the faith. We are to contend for the faith. There's only one faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 verse 5 that the Lord, there's one Lord and there's one faith and there's one baptism. You know there's a lot of religions out there that teach all kinds of different baptisms. Some of them, I tell you, I, I used to tell folks, well, I, I'm just an old country boy, okay? So I speak hillbilly, not English. And, and, and back in America, in, in the rural sticks that I live in, um, I used to tell the church I pastored, I said, look here. I said, I don't care how many times you've been baptized. You could get baptized in every pond in Lawrence County until you know every frog by first name. You'll just come up a wet sinner if you've not been born again. Make no mistake about it. You must be born again. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so we are to contend for the Word of God. Far too many people are contending for the wrong things in life. We're not to contend for the Baptist denomination. I'm a I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred. When I'll die, I'll be Baptist dead. Make no mistake about it. But I don't contend for the Baptist faith. I contend for the faith. What do you contend for? 
Be careful. God knows your heart. What is it that has preeminence in your life? That's what Jude is saying. I wanted to talk to you about the common salvation, but God so directed me that I needed to talk to you about earnestly contending for the faith. In verses 4 through 16, I won't talk about all of those verses. But Jude identifies many dangers that stand in the way of the church contending for the faith. There are deceivers. There are deniers. There are those that are disobedient. There are defilers and disputers of the Word of God. In the days of Jude, these people were creeping into their church house. And they were causing problems from within. That's why you have a pastor. God sent one person to this church. One. That's your pastor. He's the only person called and sent of God here at Bethel Free Baptist Church. Deacons are not sent to a church. They're elected by the church. Same thing with trustees and other church officers. But God sent one man here to be the shepherd of this flock. And he has the awesome responsibility of oversight and guarding against false teaching in this church. I pastored for over 12 years. Thank God every day that he called me to mission. Because pastoring is not an easy task. You need to pray for your pastor on a regular basis. We are to contend for the faith. Look at verse 17. There's a second admonition, a second exhortation to the beloved. Jude says, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. First he says in verse 3, we ought to contend for the faith. Now he says we ought to continue building up our faith. Contend for the faith, build up our faith. And our faith is faith in the faith. And we are to remember, consider the words of the apostle. The, listen, the word of God was recorded for us to read, to study, to meditate upon. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wonder. From thy commandments, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We all want to be successful as Christians, don't we? The word success is found one time in the whole Bible. Did you know that? One time. That's all. You only find the word success one time in the Bible. And it's in relation to the Word of God. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. <coughs> in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. We see the only time that you find the word success in the whole Bible. Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8. What's the first word? 
of Joshua 1.8. What is it? I can't hear. What's the second word? Let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three, go. Read it. You think that's an important verse? It's so important that when I was a young boy, I memorized it. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's the only time you'll find the word success, and it's in relation to reading, studying, committing the word of God to your life. You want to contend for the faith? You need to consider the words of the apostles. You need to study God's word. Like Psalm 119, 9 through 11 that I quoted to you a moment ago. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto. According to thy word with my whole heart of a sought thee, O let me not wonder from thy commandment. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Not in your drawer, not in the back seat of your car, not on your end table. Hide it in your heart. You see, we can't contend for the faith as we ought to contend for the faith unless we are considering the word of God. The words of the apostle concerning Jesus Christ were vital to the church, to the first century church. And these people, many of them had seen the Lord Jesus, had walked with the Lord Jesus, and now we're 2,000 years removed from the Lord Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, ascension up to the Father's right hand. How much more do we need to consider the words of the apostles today? I wish I could compel every church that I speak to how important it is to study God's word. But I fear that too many people are negligent in that area. We are living in a day where more than ever we need the word of God. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. What do the words of the apostles have to say? Well, let me just share just a few excerpts of the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. You know the verse. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things... Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine wherein thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You see, as a minister of the gospel, I need to remind you of that. Your pastor needs to remind you of that. That's what we're exhorted to do as ministers of the gospel. Paul wasn't a jogger. Did you know that? He didn't exercise a great deal. 
Verse 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, Paul says. But godliness, he says, is profitable unto all things, having the promise of that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially to those that believe. Those are the words of the apostle. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me share a few more words of the apostles. Verse 1. This know also that in the last days, perilous, hazardous, dangerous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and holy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away for of this sort are they that creep into houses and leave captive Silly women laden with sin, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 21 times Paul, in that passage, he gives 21 accusations about the world in the last days. Characteristics of the world, you want to know, listen folks, reading that passage is like reading your daily newspaper. Like watching the news on television. We see this happening in our day. How urgent is missions? Folks, the clock is ticking. Time is running out. We have but a short time. And Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. For the night cometh when no man shall work. I don't know how much time we have to win those loved ones, those neighbors, those co-workers, those acquaintances to Christ. But I can tell you this, we don't have as much time as we had this morning. Christ could come back tonight, and we're out of here. We're gone. We could pass away. And go to be with the Lord by way of death. Or the person that we pray for, that we hope will be saved, that we pray will be saved, they might die before making that decision to trust Jesus Christ. Contend for the faith. Consider the words of the apostles. That's missions. Did you hear the urgency of mission? Did you hear the cry of missions? It's as if Jesus again was saying the the fields are already white into harvest. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers forth into the harvest. Time's running out. There's one more admonition. I know many of you are saying, thank God. Whew, I couldn't take much more of that. But listen, the third admonition is in verse number 20. As we look at Jude in verse 20, but beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. We are to contend for the faith. We are to consider the words of the apostles. And now the third admonition to the beloved is 
to continue building up your most holy faith. How do you do that? Well, I can tell you one thing. You won't do that sitting at home by yourself. When the Lord said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Because, see, you're being disobedient to God. And I thank God that you're here. But there were some folks here this morning that's not here tonight. I don't know where they're at. It's not my business to know, but I can tell you who does. God. Some of them have a legitimate reason for not being here. If you are going to continue building up your most holy faith, then you need to look at the seven things that follow verse number 20. Because we are given a prescription for building up our most holy faith. First thing we are to do is to pray in the Holy Ghost. What does that mean, to pray in the Holy Ghost? It means to pray in the will of God. You can pray in the will of God, or you can pray out of the will of God. I can pray, oh Lord, I want a million dollars, and I want it right now. Or I want patience, and I want it right now. You see, that's not God's will for my life. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, oh Father, he said, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Are you willing to pray a prayer like that? Not willing, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. If God were to call you to the mission field, would you be willing to go to the mission field? If God would call you into some aspect of ministry that you're not necessarily comfortable with, maybe working with children, maybe helping drive the van, maybe doing something here in the church house, maybe becoming a, an official, maybe becoming a, a deacon or a trustee or a treasurer, whoever, whatever the case may be. If God were to lead you into that area of ministry, how would you react? We need to pray in the Holy Ghost. We need to pray in the will of God. And we need to ask God to give us the grace to accept and to do that which he calls us to do. Secondly, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Did you see that? Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. How in the world can we keep ourselves in the love of God? There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. God loves me unconditionally. So what does that mean? To keep ourselves in the love of God. Well, if we were to go outside this bright and sunny day, we could have felt the sun rays upon our body, couldn't we? But if I were to take an umbrella or a parasol and put it between me and the sun, I would no longer have felt or sensed the rays of the sun. Now, in a spiritual connotation, if I'm in the will of God, praying in the will of God, praying in the Holy Ghost, doing that which I, I believe to be God's will for my life, I believe I'm going to sense the love of God. But if I'm out of fellowship with God, I'm going to become insensitive. I'm going to be as if a hot iron seared my, my nerve endings. And I would no longer sense the love of God in my life. If we are to keep ourselves, that word keep means to guard or to garrison. It's a military term. It's the same word Paul said, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep, to guard, to garrison that which I have committed unto him against that day. So we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. That means we need to keep short accounts 
with God when it regards sin. If we commit sin, which we're going to do, we need to confess it immediately. Keep short accounts with God in regard to sin. If we inhale sin, we exhale confession. I'm saved. That doesn't mean I'm sinless, but I ought to sin less than before I was saved. And that's what it means to grow in the grace, to continue building up our most holy face. Thirdly, he says, look at verse 21, the second half. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Are you looking for the coming of Christ? Are you looking for, do you believe that he might come today? If you knew he was coming tomorrow, would that change how you live today? Oh, yes, of course. Then there's something wrong with how you're living today. Because he may come tomorrow. The return of Christ for his bride is imminent. And we need to be about the Father's business every day. Because we don't know what day or hour the Lord will come. And so we ought to be looking for that. And it would make a distinct, a definite rather, a definite difference in our lives if we looked for the coming of Christ. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. I have a message on four things that prevent people from loving his appearing. Maybe sometime I'll preach that for you. Fifthly, notice what he says in verse number, verse number next, 20, uh, 22. He says, and of some making a difference. There's the essence of missions, if I ever heard it. And of some making a difference. You know what that means? <laughs> that means you care about their soul, that, that you have a desire to win them to Christ, and that you, you have a desire to make a difference in their life. Preacher, I can't go around the world as a missionary. No, but can you help send those who do? Can you give to faith promise missions? Will you ask the Lord to provide Maybe what you don't actually have above and beyond your ties, not your ties. That goes to the, that goes to the storehouse. Faith promise isn't your tie. Don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Faith promise is above and beyond your ties. And then verse 23, he says, and others save with fear. Save with fear. Wow. It means save with compassion. See, that's what he said in verse 22. And of some having compassion, making a difference, how can you make a difference? You save them with fear. Do you witness to people with the attitude that you fear for their eternal destiny? Because every soul is either going to heaven or hell. There's no purgatory. There's no in-between. You don't get a, an out-of-jail-free card when you die. 
Right now, the things right now are temporary, but after this life, it's forever. And you're either going to heaven or hell, no in-between. And when we witness to a folk, do we compel them to come to Christ as if it's a matter of eternal destiny? We ought to. We ought to. I'd preach all night long if I thought someone was here who was lost and we'd get saved. I'd preach all night long. If you got done before I do, I'd, I'd simply ask you to leave quietly. But I would preach until I couldn't talk anymore. If I thought it would make a difference. That I could save some with fear. I fear that they will die and go to hell and that this might be their last opportunity to come to Christ. There has to be that sense of urgency when we witness to those that are lost. And I fear that too often times in the church, well, I got my fire insurance, let them get theirs. How sad. How sad. God help us. God help you if that's your case. I don't think it is, but... There may be some here that are on the borderline. I don't know. I don't know you that well. But I want to tell you I love you, and that's why I'm preaching to you. I want to be a help to you. He says, pulling them out of the fire. And others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Pulling them out. Can you imagine? That's that song that we sang earlier this week, Rescue the Perishing. Care for the dying. Tell them that Jesus, the mighty, can save. That's missions. It doesn't get any different. It's the same old story of Jesus and his love. And lastly, how do we contend for the faith? <laughs> this is an odd picture, but Jude gives it to us. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Wow. Do you know what that's a picture of? Soiled undergarments. He said that this flesh is so vile and so wicked and so unpredictable that we ought to hate this flesh. That we ought to care. That's why he said, have compassion, making a difference. Reach out, pulling them out of the fire. Reach out. Now he says, watch out. Watch out. Why? Because we can't even trust our own selves. Peter, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. He denied him thrice, didn't he? And, and we talk about Peter as if he was a man with no faith. Why, he... He walked on water, but then he took his eyes off Christ and sank. You know, he's the only one who had enough faith to get out of the boat. And when I take groups to Israel all the time, when we take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, I said, any of you all remember that story? Of course they all do. And, and I said, wasn't that awful that Peter took his eyes off Christ and he sank? Oh, yes, of course. I said, how about you? You want to get out of the boat and try it? No. See, none of them have the faith to get out of the boat. See, our, 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 we wrestle against this flesh. Galatians 5.17, For the spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that we cannot do the things that we 
should or would or could. Fact is, we're prone to sin. And so we have to continue building up our most holy faith. If we are going to contend for the faith, we need to consider the words of the apostles and continue doing the things that the Word of God has to say to build up our most holy faith so that we might contend for the faith, that we might be better missionaries for the cause of Christ. It's as simple as that, and that's the message. Three words to the beloved. And I trust that you'll ponder, if you will, upon these three admonitions of Jude to the saints that were sanctified, preserved, and called, and that you will apply these to your life so that you might be a better missionary in the days ahead. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for being so gracious to record in your word this message that we might be stronger in our faith, that we might be better missionaries, that we might contend for the faith with more urgency and fervor, Lord, that we might continue building up our most holy faith. It's a process. It's a work, but it can be done. The power of the Holy Spirit and your grace, nothing's impossible. Father, I pray that this church would continue to be a great lighthouse, Lord, in supporting missionaries worldwide. And Father, they would be obedient to you in reaching out right here in their home, Jerusalem, and also into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And Father, they would continue to reach out and to reach out, but also to watch out for this garment spotted by the flesh. Lord, whatever's done here at Bethel, I pray, Lord, that you would receive honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.